I read an account recently of a chef who wanted to prove that it was not the quality of the food that counts, but it is how you present it. And so he got himself some dog food, and he served it up on silver platters, and of course he dressed it up with olives, bacon bits, and made it beautiful looking and fancy. And as the people came along and chose their little dainty finger food, uh, they were coming back for more. And it proved it's not what you serve, but it's how you serve it. The Roman Catholic Church has learned this hundreds of years ago. They built massive cathedrals to impress superstitious-minded people. Today, you have the mega church that is seeking to impress people by size and by numbers. Now, the business world would call it success through success. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and we're continuing our series on cults and various religions. So stay tuned with us as today we come to the cult of Mormonism. Now, why do we call it a cult? Because we must insist that Christianity is a very precious and definite set of core values or doctrines. And if we shift those values and doctrines, it is no longer genuine biblical Christianity. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians warned of those who would turn to another gospel, and it would be a gospel not similar, but something very different. And he used the word heterodox. And when this message, which is still under the umbrella name Christianity, using that name and incorporating the name of Jesus, but yet does not pour in the same values, the same meanings, then this scripture is very relevant. Let me read it to you. And he said to these Galatians, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of God. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says to him, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And of course, Paul had to lay it out. He had to defend what the gospel is, and he had to call these people back to the truth as it is in the Lord Jesus. And so this is what has happened in many cults. They use the name Christian. They use the name Jesus, but it is a totally different message. It's a system of works. It's a religion by performance, whereas true Christianity is a message of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, where he took our place on the cross, paid the price, and those who place their faith in him are redeemed and saved by faith alone. And that is the Protestant biblical message, saved by faith alone. And I hope that you can say that, that your personal faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, by whom, you are saved completely, justified, declared righteous, 
by faith. Now we're going to move to our hymn firstly, Trust and Obey, and then to the message on Mormonism. again for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. And today we're dealing with the religion of Mormonism. And we're going right back to Joseph Smith, the founder who claims to have found certain revelations in golden plates hidden in the ground. And the claims are rather fantastic. I think you will admit when you uh, come to this. Now, we, we are now left with the the very important uh, analysis of how do we ascertain that what we have in the Bible is genuine, what we have in the Book of Mormon is, uh, is it genuine? What, which weighs up? And uh, there is a, a mechanism of doing that. We know that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, and that is proven by many, many, many methods, and uh, it is verifiable, whereas the Book of Mormon uh, the methodology is not verifiable. It is the claim of an original man, and uh, it is his own work, and uh, how can we attest whether these things are true, especially when it departs in so many areas from traditional Christianity? That's something you need to realize, that Mormonism is not traditional Orthodox Christianity. It is something vastly different. 
and we're going to learn something of that today. So stay tuned with us as we deal with this. And uh, remember, please, the book that we have called World Religions Made Easy. It's a 64 handy reference pocket uh, booklet uh, that will help you look at these various religions. These are available through Let the Bible Speak. You can get all the details at the end of the program. So stay tuned now as we move to our message on Mormonism. When we look at the Book of Mormon, we begin to look for these same truths and facts. What do we discover? We discover that the golden plates, you remember Moroni, the angel, visited Joseph Smith, told him about these plates that were hidden in the ground and that he could discover them, and he did, for he claimed to do so, and that they would be added scripture. Well, Joseph Smith reported that the plates were written in Reformed Egyptian, which was copied and later translated into English by himself with those two stones, Urim and Thummim, two stones that he discovered in the same place where he discovered the plates. And if you believe in inspiration, that's it. That's it. That's all there is. Two golden plates discovered in one location, taken out of the ground, mysterious signs and symbols called Reformed Egyptian writing, translated by Joseph Smith himself, just one person, and translated into English. That's all we've got. What about the Bible? Well, the Bible itself tells us that every word is inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Every word, all Scripture. And the word is theonoustos, God breathed. In this, the writers take no responsibility. And here's a great difference. Joseph Smith takes all the credit for the Book of Mormon. But the authors of this Bible take none of the credit. God himself is responsible for his own word. And if you go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 19, uh, you find this uh, miracle of inspiration applied to the Bible is very clearly laid out for us. Second Peter 1, verse 19. Ye have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, the word interpretation there could also be translated origination. The Word of God is not a private interpretation or origination. It is not done in a corner. It is a very public document. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that's why the writers of the Bible so often say, Thus saith the Lord. They don't take credit for the Word. Also, one of the amazing things about our inspired Bible, if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, is that when the prophets wrote, 
And you can picture Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He's writing uh, of, to the people of Israel, but he's also writing prophecy of the days of Christ. He's writing of the days when the Babylonian captivity will end, hundreds of years ahead. He's writing about the ministry of Christ, as in Isaiah 53. Now, when Isaiah wrote the words, what did he do? He studied those words to grasp their meaning. Look at what it says here. 1 Peter 1, verse 9, verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them. Notice that these Old Testament prophets had the Spirit of Christ in them, and they were writing these prophecies, and then they studied them because they did not take any responsibility for the writing. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what we have here today is in this Bible, a God-breathed, a God-given word. And that's why Paul said that if any man come preaching another gospel or an angel, now, isn't it very significant what we read there in Galatians chapter 1, that if an angel should come and give to you another gospel, which is not another. In other words, it's not another of the same kind. It's a totally different gospel. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. And so when it comes to verbal inspiration, the Book of Mormon certainly doesn't weigh up. Secondly, this is row number two now, no plagiarism. And yet it is counted that there are 27,000 words in the Book of Mormon that are taken right out of the King James Version of the Bible. And there are direct quotes from the King James Version in Elizabethan English, which creates a bit of a literary problem because these plates, they were dug up from an ancient civilization somewhere around 600 B.C., and yet when they were discovered and translated, comes out in this new English format. Strange. A strange phenomenon. How could it be? Then when we go to the Bible, is there any plagiarism? Any copying of other literary works? Well, there's one place where when the Apostle Paul is preaching and he's dealing with these Greek philosophers, he does raise a quote of their own poets, but he does it honestly. And he says there in Acts 17, your own poets have said. There's an honest quotation. And we find this book to be honorable. It's not questionable, as we find with the Book of Mormon. Thirdly, there's the completed canon. That means uh, the Bible is a finished book. Now, after 1,700-odd years from the death of the, first, uh, the last apostle, when the Bible was closed, the book of Revelation was written. Joseph Smith now claims to have a new revelation. We wonder how did the church ever survive for 1,700-odd years without this Book of Mormon? 
How did missionaries ever go out and reach India and China and many places of the world prior to 1830? How did they ever do it? How did we have the Protestant Reformation and great revivals of the Wesleys and the Whitfields and the missionaries of the world without such a book and revelation? Did the church not have the Word of God in its fullness? When you move over to the Bible, you'll find that the 66 books of the Bible are a complete revelation. Our Lord Jesus put a stamp on the 39 books of the Old Testament. The New Testament apostles, they were equipped to give us the New Testament. And when the last apostle died, which was John, the Bible was completed. It was finished. And hence, John, the penman of that book of Revelation, he said that if any man adds to this word or takes away from this word, that his name will be taken out of the book of life. Would you not tremble if you were trying to introduce some other document and saying this also is revelation from God? We certainly should. We certainly should. When there were no apostles remaining, and the definition of an apostle, by the way, is one who was a contemporary of Christ and had seen the living Christ with his own eyes. That's the definition of an apostle. There are no apostles today. There have been no apostles in the world since the second century when they died. And this is built upon that statement that the church is built upon Jesus Christ and the apostles. That's the foundation of the church. You see, the church is built on the Bible. The Bible is not built on the church. And yet Mormons want us to believe that God is adding a new book of authority of equal importance. It doesn't weigh up. Then the preservation of his word. If God has given us his word for his people, for his church, he's going to preserve it. Now, these mysterious golden plates, well, they're non-existent. We'd have to ask, were they ever existent? But they're non-existent today. The language in which they were written was Reformed Egyptian, by which we would like to think there would be some way of verifying. Is there a way of discovering that language that it's handed down? But it can't be. And so to accept this book as revelation with equal Scripture, it forces Mormons to break the very fundamental uh, rule of the canon of Scripture and add new information. New information. Now, Joseph Smith claimed that the brass plates he found contained the writing of the five books of the Bible. Uh, that's the books of Moses. And another person called Lehi, uh, said to have lived around the time of the Tower of Babel, uh, on through to the time of Jeremiah, but they were written in an unknown language, a language that nobody knows. Where is it? How do we know that the translation is right? No one knows the writings, how they were given, to whom they were given, by whom they were given, and for what purpose? Now, when we come to the Bible, well, isn't it... Surely sufficient where the Lord Jesus said that not one jot or tittle of his word will be lost. 
will not feel. And of course, this word, it's verifiable. We have the original languages in which the Bible was written, Hebrew and Greek. There are today literary works of the peoples of that time, the languages they used. Scholars can learn Hebrew and Greek today. They can go to the Bible and they can discover that very language. And because of the abundance of copies, now they might throw the argument at you and say, there's no original Bible today. There's no original copy of God's Word in Hebrew and Greek. Those original documents are no longer existent. That's true. But there is an abundance of copies and copies of copies that have been handed down through the ages from the first century to now so that they can be collated, compared, and with the majority principle we can determine here is God's word that was given. And as we seek to translate it, scholars can go to those languages, learn them. But does anyone hear of Reformed Egyptian? Can't be done. Never was such a language known on the earth. Next thing is point five, must be faithfully translated. That's necessary to give peoples of all languages the Word of God. God's Word in the orig original language is Hebrew and Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, but it needs to be translated. Aren't you thankful tonight that we have an English translation? Aren't you glad that we're not uh, here quoting a foreign language to you? No, the Word of God should be translated. But let's look at how it was done uh, by uh, the Mormons. Joseph Smith stated that he translated the Book of Mormon using those two stones. And whatever way the light shone, whatever he could see through those stones, he communicated it to a man called Cowdery, and he wrote it down in English. That's the translation process. Now, you take the translation of the Bible. If you were to be a translator of the Bible, you would need to be skilled in Hebrew language, Greek language, and those languages, while they're not, they're what they call dead languages, they're not the, the tongue of the person in Israel today. There's a whole new Hebrew being spoken in, in Israel today. When all the diaspora returned to uh, Jerusalem in 19, or Israel in 1948, they had to, with their Yiddish, they had to invent a whole new Hebrew language. But ancient Hebrew and Koine Greek, which was the common language of the Roman world, there are many works, many uh, ample literary uh, treatises available that men can say, well, here is how that word was used. And here's how it was understood. And so Bible societies can take lexicons, grammars, use the work of syntax, dictionaries, to give people the Word of God in their own tongue. How do the Mormons translate into other languages? Whatever Joseph Smith wrote, that's it. They have to take that which he wrote, or Cowdery actually did the writing. Joseph Smith did the oral communication, but that's it. And if it's translated into German or French or other parts of the world, then it's translated from the English into that language. 
And so you can see that it is locked into a very questionable, if not a whole deceitful method. Thank you for listening with us here on Let the Bible Speak today in our message on Mormonism. We'll be continuing this tomorrow and through the week here. And this is a gospel issue. Please do note this, that this is about how a man is just with God, how a sinner can be reconciled to God. The gospel says that a man is reconciled through the death of the Lord Jesus by believing on that one-time sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Mormonism is a religion of works. It is a religion whereby it's a process to become more like God and to become a God. Now, that again, it's, it's a heresy. It, it's absolutely false. Men, creatures, will never be gods. God is one. God is holy. God is transcendent. We are creatures and we may, of course, be changed into something of his likeness, a matter of degree, but never taking that divine nature. And so the whole idea of how a man is saved, what it means to be saved, and what is eternal life, it is all convoluted in the Mormon system. And so this is a matter of the gospel. When you die, will you go to heaven have you done enough to earn eternal life? The Christian says, I am lost. I am undone through my own sin, through my empty works of rebellion against God. And all my righteousness are as filthy rags. And so I come to Jesus, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And we know that there on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ who became man for us, offered a one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice to save men from sin by the value of his own blood. And that sacrifice has been accepted by the Father, and when he accepts the sacrifice, he accepts the Son, and by our faith in that sacrifice, we are saved. So this is a matter of justification by faith alone. And again, as Martin Luther well said, this is the standing or falling of the church. The church that denies justification by faith, neglects it or hides it, is not the church of the Lord Jesus. And so we do call you to the gospel today, to simple saving faith in the one-time substitutionary sacrifice of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the gospel. That's how a man is saved. And I hope today that you will put your complete trust in the Lord Jesus. And our prayer is that Mormons will come to understand and enter into the wonderful liberty of the gospel of justification by faith alone. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.